0: Was earlier, so I'm just going to keep nattering and get my place, and then hopefully it will work. There we go. Thank you, George. Can we have a round of applause for the tech team? They're a good bunch. They they kind of um, pull rabbits out of hats. They turn up with half a laptop, couple of mics, and a. A dodgy bunch of leaders up front and uh, bring together a service. Now, um, good to be with you, good to see so many of you here. Um, I am excited about this season. Um, I'm excited because I think it's what the Lord wants to do with us. And I've thought that since we went on the weekend away together and, and, and the Lord showed me and others um, the importance of healing heart hurts and healing hearts. Now, some of you have um, been on uh, in, in a sort of on this journey or involved in this work, part maybe through your work or through your small group, through uh, particular prayer ministries that you've had. Um, you might consider yourself an expert in this. I most certainly do not. As an evangelist, um, pastoral care. Um, is is something that sometimes stretches me. However, um, I am your pastor, and it's my job to make sure that we are cared for. That um, I've, I've said it before: we're not a, a hospital. We're w- it w- in the sense that we're kind of a, we're just going to uh, bunker down and and uh, get on the operating <coughs> table. But we're a field hospital, in that we get healed up by God. As we go about our uh, Great Commission. And um, as the longer I have pastored, the longer I have realized that this is such an important work that actually, unless we tend to it, unless we tend to our hearts, unless we tend to our hurts, then we are going to be less fruitful. Uh, we are going to be less whole. And we are probably going to be hurting. Let me tell you a little story. Um, In wanting to um, prepare well for this, I snuck away on Wednesday to Wendy's um, little um, cottage in Caton Bay, which I'm very grateful for. She's got the best view on the entire cul-de-sac. And I sat there and spent time with God and I read a few books. But come Friday, I thought, well, it's my day off. (coughs) What shall I do before driving back? And so I couldn't help but notice South Cliff Golf Course was not far away. (coughs) So I popped in, got a a cheap deal. And in the car park, I met this young uh, 71-year-old Geordie who was a member. But he's playing on his own. I thought, that's unusual. Asked him if he wanted any company. He said, yes, he was my guide for the day. Lovely. We had a good chat. It was full of banter. As we journeyed on our round, I took an interest in him. He didn't take much interest in me. I think by the end of the, 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 the four hours we spent together, he, he barely knew my name. But I took an interest in him. And over the time, a theme emerged. First, it was talking about how he, lo- he left Northcliffe Golf Course because he fell out with a couple <laughs> of the golfers. Then he went to another golf club and he fell out with them. Then he told me about his second wife because he'd fallen out with the first. And I thought, there's a theme emerging here <laughs> from his life. And I had it in mind just to share the gospel, or maybe to offer prayer for him. Um, But when we got to the car park, I was going to say, you know, if God could do anything for you right now, what would it be? But before I had a chance to ask he said, do you want a pint? He drinks a bit. So how could I refuse? I went and had a pint of Worthington's, smooth flow, I recommend it. And he started to open up about his will arrangement. And he told me about his son, who was being treated differently to his daughters. And on investigation, it turned out that he was not going, he hadn't talked to his son for a number of years. And then I was able to be bold. Because I said, look, I wouldn't normally be so bold, but I'm probably not going to see you again said, you know, have you ever thought about reconciliation with, yeah, maybe not the golf golfers that you've fallen out with, <laughs> but shall we start with your nearest and dearest and your son? And we talked about how he might do that. And he then talked about why he wouldn't do that. Because they'd done this and they'd done that. It was the tiniest things. It was misunderstandings about a joke, but of course, it goes much deeper than that. And ultimately, it came down to a hard heart. A heart that was, I'm not gonna back down. I've been wrong too, and I am going to stick to my guns until the day I die. And I said, well, you don't know the day that you die, but I guarantee you, if your son outlives you, he will live with that hurt for the rest of his life, and into the next generation and the next generation. And funnily enough, he then reflected on how his hard heart came from his mother's hard heart, because these things just go down to the fourth generation. And so we talked about that, and I left it with him. He wasn't one who was going to uh, just, you know, blub in tears in front of me there. He was a, a miner with half a finger to show for it. And is made of stern stuff. But I hope and my prayer is that as he, as he thinks about our conversation, he will reflect <coughs> and maybe by God's Holy Spirit, there will work something which will heal him. Now, we are going to engage in that sort of healing. We're going to reflect on our heritage, if you like, what's made us us, our parents, our circumstances, our background, our life story. And we are gonna use that time that we give to thinking about these things to walk with God, spend time with God, and with other trusted individuals so that we can become more emotionally aware, that we can understand, know ourselves, We can know our God who heals the hurts, and we can relate better to one another. To put it in pictorial terms, we want a healthy root system for us as individuals, for us as a body. Put it another way, we want a fresh heart, a new heart, not just one that's bandaged up, but one that's replaced. In um, Ezekiel, it says, a new heart I give you, a heart that is soft, not one that's hardened and calloused. And in Jeremiah 17, it says, a tree planted by the waters is one that gives life, the evergreen, always fruitful. That is what we want, isn't it? We want to be fruitful in all seasons. And we want to be whole, despite what life throws at us. So there's a number of books I want to recommend to you. This is the one that sort of prompted off the journey. Um, it's A Voice of the Heart, and very pleasing for me. It's got a picture of a tree on the front of it. A Call to Full Living. Uh, then one book that was recommended to me, which happened to be owned by Jules, uh, it's by Chip Dodd. Um, it was um, a terrible name, <laughs> but forgive me, he's a good lad. And... Um, Unfortunately, it's an, uh, only available in hardback, so it seems to be quite costly. But it's worth it. Um, oh, you, you're better on Amazon than I am. Um, then this one that was recommended to me. So this is a whole series. It's called "Emotionally Healthy Spirituality." You can get "Emotionally Healthy Discipleship" and "Emotionally Healthy Leadership," but you know, one one will do because it's probably most of the same material rehashed. Um, but it is very good. Um, I prefer this one, it's got more pictures, but if you like words, go for that one. It then reminded me of a book that I have read twice, many years ago, um, Landmarks by Margaret Sylph, and um, it's a book um, borrowing from the Ignatian spirituality. So Ignatius is uh, 400 years ago, founded the Jesuits and he reflected on his life. So quick quick little story about him. He was um, born just in the Basque region of Spain, not far from Barcelona. And he was born into aristocracy. He did work very well. He was a page boy to the king. He uh, was trapped in wealth and, and, and prestige. And then just like that, the king died and he was effectively sacked. He went into the home, uh, he he trained up uh, of of another aristocrat, he uh, trained up in the army, and then the French uh, sent a a cannonball his way, which shattered his knee and leg, rendered him a poor pauper, um, because he had no means of income, and he gathered Dust by the side of the road, along with other paupers, and he began to reflect on life. And out of that spiritual journey of inner healing and coming up with some wonderful ways of questions of for discipleship, as he convalesced, he was handed one book. He wanted a book, uh, you know, just to sort of escape his problems, you know, novel. But he was handed a book about English, uh, sorry, Christian martyrs and the Bible. And from that, he then invented, uh, you know, his spirituality, which we can now borrow from. Now, don't just take it from him. Great thinkers down the ages have all come up with a similar uh, set of principles and um, Statements which essentially say this, and so let me say this. Iranius, he said this, the glory of God is a human that is fully alive. We heard in that reading from Ephesians that God's glory will be in the church and in Jesus Christ. We are God's glory on earth. So that is true. Augustine, in his book Confessions, AD 400, How can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? Socrates, not knowing God, but um, being wise, said, know thyself. Meister Eckhart, uh, he was a Dominican in the uh, 13th century. No one can know God who doesn't know himself. Again, Augustine, grant Lord, that I may know myself and I may know thee. St. Teresa of Avila, who wrote in her book, The Way of Perfection, almost all spiritual problems stem from a lack of self-knowledge. John Calvin, 1530, the reformer, in his book, Institutes of Christian Religion, said, Our wisdom is twofold. To know God and to know ourselves. Now you might be worried that I'm quoting uh, saints of the past and not quoting the Bible. Well, what do we know about Jesus? Jesus is perfection. Jesus was the way, truth and life. And this is what happened at his baptism. Jesus uh, was called out by the Father, who said, this is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus, reflecting that, um, then spoke relationally in Matthew 11. Uh, No, that's not it. Um, find uh, Find my place, hang on. It's all over the, the New Testament. He, kn- he knew his father. He knew God. Yeah? That's how he relates. I can't I can't find the specific quote. We'll come back to it time and time again. Yeah? Why is it that Mary was praised more than Martha? Martha was distracting herself. He says, Martha, you're worried about many things, but Mary has chosen what is right to sit at Jesus' feet. And we need to do that. We come in a long line of uh, uh, spirituality, generally the Protestant work ethic, which thinks of the truth and the head knowledge more than we engage with the mystery of God and our heart knowledge, our heart feelings. And as a result of that, sometimes we can be hard-pressed into doing this for God and doing that for God, rather than just being human beings and being with God. And that is a practice, that is a discipline, and that is something that we might find hard. But we're going to try. So... As we go through this series, we're going to engage in our feelings. There are eight feelings that um, Jesus is recorded as having through through the scriptures um, in detail. And Jesus related to those feelings and they helped him know himself and to know his God and to know others. For example... Jesus wept because he was, he had sorrow. He felt pain. We are often taught to, you know, often by our parents, g- grow up, pull yourself together, dust yourself down, pull your socks up. Um, we're taught to ignore our feelings rather than to engage with them and to understand what they are telling us. So, as we go through this series and engage with the different feelings that we, um, that we have, um, you, can ha- you, know, you can have hundreds of different feelings, but um, writers think that you can sort of summarise them into sort of eight categories of feeling. So, we're going to go through eight different uh, feelings. They're all there for a reason. Now, to help us, we've got uh, some images here, okay? So this is what we are aiming to do. We're aiming to heal our hearts. Um, When we are born into life, we're we're told by a biologist that we have five senses. What are those senses? Just shout them out. Touch. Hearing. Smell. I knew you were going to say that. There's a very low tongue there. It's not a double chin. <laughs> Taste. Let's give them some eyes. See. And our, we also, within our, we, we we talk about our heart or our soul. We have all sorts of other <coughs> senses. Now I've put those over here, so we've got feelings, longings, what else do we have? Um, hopes, intuitions, desires, needs, you might want to add to that. Now, ultimately, our ultimate n- uh, need or longing is to be with God. And this is a truth, and there are truths about God. That is what we did last term. We we looked, again, at the deep truths about God, what, what we need uh, to know. But the way in which we relate in the world isn't as straightforward as, I know therefore I do. Because we we might know truth, but every day we get bombarded by circumstances that make us feel different. And how we relate to those feelings is important. Because if we do not understand those feelings, even though we might know the truth, we end up in, in difficulty. Yeah. So for example, I can start a, a, a day, I can have my quiet time, I can be sort of floating into work, perfectly calm. And then somebody cuts across me at the traffic lights. I walk into uh, a, a prayer meeting. I think I'm just going to lead in a nice devotion. And somebody says, have you fixed the, the tap yet? And then um, so my wife rings me and goes, did you not uh, remember to put the r- rubbish out? And all of a sudden, I'm all shaken shaken up. Now, Harry and Wendy will know this because they did the parenting Classes um, that when when we're parents, we have to cope with a mind that is kind uh, or a head that is divided between um, head and heart, and we've got the rational brain and we've got that emotional brain. Now both are important, but when the emotions are upset, it's like the water in our head is upset and. It's choppy waters. And actually, whatever rational thought you might have had and control just goes all to mush. Because the emotions speak louder than the rational brain. So this is important work, isn't it? We have to know and understand what our triggers are, what uh, wounds that we have, Um, And how we function. And we all function differently. So it helps us to talk to others who are opposite from us to get a bit of balance. And people that are the same as us to kind of have a bit of camaraderie and, and understanding. But ultimately, we will not be good at this unless we spend time on our own with our thoughts to really engage with God and ourselves. This is why I find retreat really good. It's also why I find it hard work. As an extrovert, the first thing I want to do is ring somebody up, get the radio on, and actually we have learned to distract ourselves from those voices within that are are wanting to, to tell us something, tell us important things. So we have these feelings. We have these longings, these needs, these desires and hopes. When we come into life, we have 95% of all our feelings. But we don't have a rational brain that's uh, wired well enough to understand what's going on. Yeah? And yet, we have these instincts. A baby's instinct is to seek out a breast for suckling. A baby's instinct is to grab on to a finger for support. A baby's instinct as they enter the world with their first breath is to cry like mad because they want comfort. Right there, you've got the three things that Jesus said we all need. Food. Food. Shelter and, and clothing, yeah? But ultimately, ultimately, what we need is love, yeah? And love clothes around us all these other needs, yeah? Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, since why has the pastor turned into a therapist? I'd, I'd sort of shared some of these ideas with my family yesterday. And, and m- one of my daughters said, Dad, I, I think you should just stick to the, the truths of Scripture, just preach the Bible, and um, you know, should leave the therapy to you know, the, the counselors, etc. And in, in some ways, I agree with that. In other ways, I think we, we are emotionally starved sort of in the church. We've, we've got this sort of self-help culture. We have got um, all of the uh, therapeutic stuff bubbling up in our society. Ultimately, we need to understand this so that we can uh, benefit from our, ourselves, but also to have a language to be able to communicate this with a hurting world, yeah? Okay, so we're born into the world. Our soul, our spirit is everlasting. Don't ask me difficult questions about where that was in the universe. But when we receive physical birth, we are physically present as body in the earth, and we naturally, like that baby, grasping and reaching out, we want to relate. As we go through life, we have a better understanding of ourselves, and we want to reach out to others. But the only way to truly know ourselves, know others, and to know intimacy is through spiritual rebirth with God. And that leads us into eternal life where we will know God, like Jesus says, one-to-one, face-to-face, better than we do now. Now, I'm sure you'll all un- understand that if we don't go on that journey, we will be led to v- gratify the, the, the needs, the desires of our sinful hearts with other stuff. Now, it could be, Distraction, drugs, alcohol, non-intimate relationships, fantasies, other you know, other uh, narratives, isolation, loneliness, and those things ultimately lead to death, and they lead to separation. So, this is the answer: intimacy with ourselves, with God and with others that will lead to good authentic loving relationships it will lead to a loving healthy church it will lead to a healthy society if we go in the opposite direction it will lead to anger and rage that results in relationships breaking up. It will result in marriages breaking up. It will result in families breaking up. It will result in wills being written very poorly that's going to break the next generation. It will lead to atomization of society, which we've seen happen in this nation over the last 50 years. If you don't believe me, there's some good Bible verses that we can relate to. And like I said, these are just a a few that came to mind, but um, you can get this all from the New Testament. So Matthew 11, you'll know this one well, but just think about the relational element. Matthew 11, 25, 28. 28 to... 27-29 all things have been committed to me by my Father no one knows the Son except the Father and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light that is in fact the verse I was searching for earlier, should have trusted myself, Psalm 139 so that's about knowing the Father, knowing God knowing Jesus Psalm 139 verses 23 to 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. It doesn't say remove my anxious thoughts. It says know them. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And then finally Romans... Chapter 12, verses 3 to 5. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now, This is just part one of a long series. It won't just be me, it'll be, and it won't just be sermons. It will be a chance for us to stop, to reflect, and get to know ourselves better, to get to know God better. Last night, we're, I prayed with a couple of friends who just had a couple of pictures, which I think will be helpful to us this morning. Um, we want to have some prayer ministry, At the end of each service on second and fourth sundays and we're going to have that um just at at the back underneath the cross to the side and we've got a, a ministry team who would love to pray for you confidentially and i've no idea where you're at i have no idea what god is doing in you right now but my prayer is that we will open up to him, that my prayer is that um, God, like a, a surgeon, will do heart surgery, and it's the Holy Spirit that opens that up, not any particular great sermon. So as we prayed last night, there was a couple of pictures. One was of a plaster, and the plaster on the wound Falling off. Often we like to have a plaster, don't we? Because it shows that we've had a hurt. But actually a plaster doesn't really do much good. It might cover it up for a time, but ultimately we need the air uh, to get to the wound. And the healing comes from within. Like a deep wound, it has to heal from the deepest part outwards. That was the first picture. Second picture was of an anvil pressing down on someone. And so that verse about a, a burden, you know, that Jesus' burden is light, not burdensome, that life shouldn't be a weight on us. If you feel oppressed and beaten down, um, then let Jesus remove it. So, as we come into land, I just will read a little excerpt from Psalm 51. David was not one to hold back from God, he was not one to keep quiet about his feelings. And he said this You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Father God, I just pray as we go on this, uh, uh, through this season, on this journey of becoming emotionally healthy and Tending to our root systems, that we would go deeper in knowledge of you, deeper in knowledge of ourselves, and deeper in relationship with one another. And I pray, Lord, that you would heal our hurts and that you would heal.